Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Will Summer. Welcome to the Daily Beast's Fever Dreams. I'm a politics reporter at the Daily Beast, and I'm currently working on a book about QAnon called Trust the Plan for HarperCollins coming out later this year. And I'm Kelly Weil. I am also a reporter at the Daily Beast, and I'm the author of the book Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything. On this podcast, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious, sometimes scary fanatics infecting the way that millions of Americans view the world and how they vote. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, grifters, and influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. Hi, this is Will Summer. I'm joined today on Fever Dreams, not by Kelly Weil, but by Daily Beast reporter Zach Patrizzo. Zach, how's it going? Good. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know you've been reporting on a lot of pretty wild stuff, so I think it'll be a good episode. Lots to discuss. For those wondering, Kelly, our regular co-host, had a baby and so she is on maternity leave for a good long while so instead we're going to have people like zach we're going to have a rotation of guest hosts coming in throughout the summer doing their best to fill kelly's shoes so first up we have zach zach you've been covering this beat for a couple years now what would you say are the hottest issues on your mind as we head into the midterms Sure, absolutely. Well, I think we have more kind of these Trumpian candidates running all over, right? We have people like RSBN host Mike Crispy running up in New Jersey. And RSBN, for folks who don't know, is a very Trumpy YouTube channel. I didn't realize, okay, like our RSBN host running is pretty wild. Yeah, so like my eye is really on Trump world and how that intersects with media. And we cover that kind of really well at the Daily Beast, that intersection there. And this is kind of like spilled over into congressional races in many ways, right? One being Mike and, and many others. Of course, Crispy has advisors like Roger Stone, for example, and others. So we see kind of this once kind of isolated Trump world type of stuff kind of really leaking into the mainstream Republican Party more and more seemingly every day. All right. So moving on to our first item, Zach, you have been a war boy pursuing the Mad Maxian People's Convoy. The, the People's Convoy, folks may remember, was sort of inspired by Canadian trucker protests. It came to D.C. once already, but now they're back in D.C. or back in what you could describe as the very generous D.C. metro area, <laughs> reaching, I believe, all the way to West Virginia. So since the People's Convoy left for the first time, Zach, and tell us when that was and, and sort of just catch us up to what their journey has been. Yeah, absolutely. Well, of course, kind of in early March, they initially came to the Washington, D.C. area. Of course, an hour and 30 minutes north of the D.C. area, I would say, is more precise up in the Hagerstown area, up in Maryland. It amazed me that you were going up there from D.C. because I thought, oh, what is this, like, right outside town? I mean, it, it's a lengthy drive. Yeah. I mean, it was very much like we're, like, launching these, like, kind of cross-country forays into the district. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I actually packed up my old 2006 BMW and kind of slept in the backseat a couple days and camped out with them up there, which was really an experience. Man of the people. <laughs> 
But yeah, so we went up there, long story short, they cut out of town about a month or so, maybe a little later. And long story short, the group kind of, there becomes a lot of drama within the group. A lot of factions form over whether or not they should kind of storm and siege into DC, kind of like horns of honking type of thing, kind of going wild with signs and stuff. And the leadership was kind of pretty divided on this issue. I'm sorry, this is the first time they're in DC. Yes, this is the first time, of course. And then, so as it's kind of a compromise, they kind of pack up all their crap, kind of take it back to California. How is that a compromise? I mean, I guess for me, these are kind of like really basic questions, but I guess for me, what I've never understood about the convoy is like, it seems like its whole point was to terrorize DC. And then suddenly they decided, well, never mind, we're going to go terrorize like our home state. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they don't need a convoy if they're just going to their own town. Right. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, they went out there and I mean, when you say terrorize, Will, I really think you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, when they hit the Portland area, of course, this is the group that's under police investigation over a shooting up there with alleged protesters. So terrorize, I think is a great word because they are kind of still under investigation for not only the Portland incident, but also harming DC residents, right? But long story short, they were in Portland, they make it up to like the Olympia area up in Washington state. And then they convoy all the way back across the country. And within the past couple of weeks, probably the last three weeks or so, they've made it back to the Hagerstown area. And of course, set up kind of camp out there. What was the logic when they decide, okay, we're coming back? Yeah, well, of course, there was kind of these new leaders, right? So of course, the old leader, Brian Braze was out at the time. And they've kind of outed these more perhaps gentle or softer people that were like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have another January 6th. In Washington, D.C., right? <laughs> it's just like, look, we're just going to honk the cars a lot. Maybe we'll get in some confrontations. And those are the moderate trucker gang leaders. <laughs> right. Yeah. So they outed these guys. And instead, they insult this guy who they affectionately call Santa Claus, right? So this is kind of a leader who... Does he have a big beard? Yes. Massive white beard. And this is the guy who has admitted pretty openly that he's a member of the Proud Boys, for example, and has pretty radical views. He's like, oh, I don't really like democracy. He talked about a speech in Indiana. He talked about overthrowing the government. Right. So this is a pretty radical guy. And so when they made their way back across, there were a couple leaders. And long story short, within the past couple days, more drama kind of ensued. And Santa kind of came out on top as kind of like the top leader, if you will. So in recent days, of course, the convoy's really, really broken up. But they formed this new group, the splinter group off of the People's Convoy, now that the People's Convoy, quote unquote, declared victory. So they came back to D.C. and it was another flop, essentially. Yeah, another flop. And then this splinter group called 77... 1776 restoration movement basically formed, which since has been kind of sending like like groups of like two convoy goers into DC and they kind of like <laughs> run around the monument and yell about like national sovereignty. It's so funny at that point because it's like trucks come into DC. Like the idea that like two trucks are gonna like, oh no, like the city's been thrown <laughs> into chaos. I do have to say though, their efforts have been derailed by like small like DC things that DC residents like totally understand. For example, like they say quote unquote parking is a nightmare that's the only problem with dc guys oh yeah the rust coast up here yeah dc is a big parking is a nightmare down here and then like other things that are really like kind of derailing their efforts are like they keep getting parking tickets for example like this one group decided to park in like a handicap area right next to the museums and then the other things that are really derailing their efforts are they bought these like bullhorns to kind of like yell on the national mall but then u.s park police kind of came up and were like hey you guys need to read this ordinance noise amplification devices aren't allowed without a permit so they've really kind of fell flat here 
I have to say, the level of civil disobedience, the willing to commit it, is really low as far as I'm seeing it. Oh, crap, we got a parking ticket. All right, back to Hagerstown, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, Zach, I mean, the other thing I want to hit on here is you've talked about sort of the huge amount of internal dissension within this group. First of all, how many people are we talking about here? And second of all, I think you've tweeted about this idea that the convoy's leaders were sort of besieged on a luxury RV. Mm. Can you get into that for us? Yeah, absolutely. So, of course, a couple of days ago, long story short, in Hagerstown, there was kind of a big war of words. You had one group of leaders who were kind of the more establishment types that kind of initially set some of this stuff up, like Marcus Summers, along with Brian Braze, who's no longer associated. But you had these more establishment types. And then you had these more radical types. They were like, put DC in a rocking chair. <laughs> they were like, we really need to shake DC up. So they're there was a big faction there. And then long story short, there's allegations that kind of these old leaders misused a lot of funds. And one of the things that is really bothering some of these people that are like sleeping in their cars is the fact that the leaders of the original movement kind of always rolled around in a super nice luxury RV. I mean, really nice. It's really incredible. Some truckers are more equal than others. The RV turns into this really big focal point. And long story short, truckers kind of get really upset with some of the the leaders over the misuse of money. And the leaders kind of run back into this RV and kind of like hide out in the RV. And here we have truckers and convoy goers outside kind of like banging crutches and like really upset. And they're like, oh, like maybe we should storm the RV. (laughs) So, I mean, really, really crazy stuff. Of course, the organizers end up calling Maryland State Police. And Maryland State Police comes out, breaks it all up. And of course, they're no longer allowed to be on Hagerstown property, the the speedway out there. So, I mean, the organizers continually kind of face these allegations that they misused funds. Of course, they raised something like $2 million. And all they basically gave the truckers were gas money. And the truckers are like, why aren't we taking care of more? Why is there no more money left? And there is a big question because it seems to me like a lot of the math isn't adding up. So the truckers have been run out of Hagerstown, out of the Speedway, because of this sort of coup incident. Where are they now? And what do you see as the sort of the longer term future, if there is one, of the rowdy truckers movement? Yeah, absolutely. They're still hanging out kind of around the area up in Hagerstown. I know this coming Wednesday, when this podcast episode drops, they're planning on having a large convoy into D.C. How many people are we talking about at this point? Yeah, I would say we're probably talking about 50 people, right? 50 people (laughs) used to be much bigger, right? Like when the initial convoy got to Hagerstown, it was something like probably like 500 folks like in early March. And now it's much smaller. But yeah, no, I will say, though, they do have a lot of like weird, wacky, like they have an old fire truck, for example, that has like sirens and horns and things that they can. It's pretty loud. So they would kind of make a splash in D.C. if they rolled through. Why do you think this whole thing failed? I mean, do you think this group is going to get folded into some kind of... One thing that I think happens with these guys is once you kind of lose your purpose for existing, you kind of become a Trump campaign roadshow. So like I'm thinking of the JFK Jr. people in Dallas once it was like, all right, I guess JFK Jr. didn't get our Evite. He's not showing up. We're going to instead just travel around with Trump. And so I guess, do you think it was sort of the end of like COVID mandates that ended this? Yeah, no, I I think it's also... Especially this specific kind of like charade, for example, I think it lacked any purpose, right? Because there were already, even in March, there weren't the type of vaccine requirements, mandates that Ottawa saw, right? So even to begin with, there wasn't much purpose to the whole thing, like, oh, we're going to shut down DC type of thing. So that didn't make sense. But even now more so, right? Because of course, there aren't even like mask mandates in most places. So their whole thing is kind of turned from mask mandates. At one point, it was the Supreme Court and like defending 
dissenting justices. And now it's turned into like, okay, a bunch of like MAGA grievances, like Christianity, things like that, right? So they've really lost their purpose in terms of like any specific goals. And now it's more like, oh, we need to make the United States into a Judeo-Christian nation, right? Well, no good. Judeo-Christian nation under truckers. Well, Hong Kong, Zach, I think we all appreciate your coverage of the convoy. I know you'll keep watching those live streams and all their antics. In other news, you got your hands on an advanced copy of Kellyanne Conway. Folks may remember her as the Trump advisor from the, the Trump White House. You got your hands on her memoir, and it, you've been publishing various exclusives on the Daily Beast out of the memoir. What do you have for us today? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, this book is a real page turner, if you will. Will? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I pulled an all-nighter on Saturday to read it, and perhaps I regret that. But yeah, no, there are some interesting... How did you feel? The sun coming up, the birds start singing. <laughs> How did you feel about your decision? I still question it. Did you say, it's probably could have waited till Monday? <laughs> <laughs> no, we appreciate the effort. So dive in for us. You've got some material here, Kellyanne Conway going in on Steve Bannon. So Kellyanne Conway not only takes aim at the likes of Jared Kushner in the book, but also takes aim at Steve Bannon. And she alleges that he, quote unquote, fed journalists barrels of bullshit out of his Roslyn apartment. Elsewhere claims that he would say things like, F the media. He would often say to me, this is Conway, of course, writing, and to others. But yet she alleged that he was kind of this big leaker almost. Yet I began to notice, quote unquote, he was far cozier with the fake news press than he ever let on. Right. Well, and I'm sure she would never leak. <laughs> yeah, of course, she paints this like kind of dark picture of Bannon, kind of this depressed guy hanging out in his office, mandating his staffers to do like kind of personal deeds, right? Like pick up the dry cleaner or, or get me coffee. She writes, quote unquote, where the rest of us hung family photos. He hung whiteboards, lists of Trump's promises, quote unquote, with a long list of personal errands he would have his White House staff manage. Well, I'm stunned the guy who ran Breitbart out of his own house would have issues with boundaries. <laughs> so first of all, I think that's interesting. I think there's a, we always love hearing about our Trump world feuds, but going forward, I mean, it, I think kind of these Trump memoirs, right, they kind of seem to break down on either I'm going to have some, I guess, newsy bits, but I'm still essentially tight with Trump. There's a second kind, which is, I think, often from people in the military like Mark Esper, who are sort of burning down the house and they're trying to distance themselves from Trump and, and what his administration did. So it seems like this book kind of falls into the former category, where Conway is not saying, I abandoned Trumpism, oh, what a disaster. This kind of is sort of a holding pattern book, perhaps until he runs again. Yeah, no, she, this kind of sings many of the praises of Donald Trump, right? Except, of course, that excerpt from the October 2016 after the ex-Hollywood tapes. The Daily Beast exclusively reported that the former president, twice impeached president, is pushing back on that. And of course, the spokesperson said this is totally false. She has kind of gotten herself in a weird spot here where the book was meant to sing the praises of Donald Trump, but instead the former president and the people around him are apparently pretty upset by this book. Do you think that's all fake? I mean, it kind of seems to me like if you and I were, if I had a book coming out, and you had a big social media platform, you might say, hey, we're going to have a little fake controversy and keep us both in the news, sell a couple more copies. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question, right? Because, I mean, you have Trump's camp, 
Trump, who has always had a really sticky relationship with the truth. And then, of course, you have Kellyanne's kind of group, which kind of lives by these sometimes alternative facts. I think it's really hard to tell. Really try to just kind of put it all out there and try to let readers kind of make the best guess there. I think that's a great attitude. That's just a little bit of podcast speculation from me. Zach, someone who read this book and apparently loved it so much, you couldn't put it down. How do you rate it? One out of five stars. Probably have to give it like maybe two stars. Well, I thought some of the terms like dumbfounded Democrat was just a great, great, great use of diction there. Ultimately, I think it lacked some of the juice from the Trump administration, some of those really interesting moments. A generous review (laughs) and a kind-hearted reader. Fantastic. All right. So, Zach, for this week's interview, we've got Tess Owen. She's a senior reporter at Vice. She has covered the exciting world of MAGA rap, particularly a character named Forgiato Blow, a gentleman who cannot stop eating hooters (laughs) we get into it in the piece but he just loves i guess the fried pickles the fried chicken the whole thing and the thing i would flag for folks is this interview was recorded before kelly went on maternity leave so you'll hear kelly instead of zach on the interview so one more bit of kelly until the fall and yeah i think it turned out really interesting and i think in a way maybe more than all the other things we've talked about i think it gave me a certain sense of existential dread so check that out Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Fevered dreams like All Daily Beast journalism exist because of the generous support of our subscribers, the people who pay for access to Daily Beast reporting and who are, quite frankly, our favorite people on the face of the planet. Want to get in on all the action? Join now and get unlimited access to Beast reporting, exclusive ad-free newsletters, and our undying appreciation. Head to feveredreams.thedailybeast.com to sign up. Okay, this week on Fever Dreams, we're joined by Tess Owen. She's a senior reporter at Vice, and she's written this article about the rise of MAGA rapper Forgiato Blow that I'm so hyped up on. It's ever since I read it, it's all I can think about. I want to explore the Blowiverse, and so I'm so glad to have Tess on. Tess, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Big fan. Okay, so there's so much to dive into here, but let's give some grounding here. First of all, who is Forgiato Blow? How did he get this name, Forgiato Blow? And how did you get into this guy's music? How did you become his number one fan? How did I become his number one fan? Great question. (laughs) I think the world of MAGA rap, I think my first foray into the world of MAGA rap was actually, I think, just before the January 6th Capitol riot. And I was just on the internet, as one does. And I found this song called FAFO by a MAGA rapper called Loza Alexander. And he was like rapping about being a proud boy. And, and that would be, yeah, fuck around and find out. Fuck around and find out, exactly. And it was like talking about needing to like shoot Antifa or popping commies and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. The music video is like absolutely absurd. It just sort of stayed with me a little bit. I found myself going down a rabbit hole every now and again, and I sort of find more of these guys. And then kind of for Giotto Blow 
sort of came onto my radar. And it was like a comical thing at first. You know, I just like to annoy my colleagues by sending MAGA rap videos every now and again to make them laugh. But there was still something I thought that was like more, I mean, beyond just like the obvious kind of, I don't know, I guess hilarity, not hilarity is probably the wrong word, beyond just like the sort of comical aspects or like ridiculousness of these guys rapping about CPAC and Matt Gates and all of that stuff. I just feel like that was like maybe something kind of more deeper about what's going on, about how like the role that music plays in like cementing these group identities and how these guys are sort of like trying to shore up culture war narratives by like creating their songbook. So that's kind of how I started like really sort of getting into it. As far as the Forgiato blow goes, I had assumed that his name, I was saying it wrong for a long time when I was pitching the story. I thought it was like Forgiato blow, like you forgot your cocaine. That was, that was what his name meant. And so right off the bat, I asked him what his name meant. And he said, it's Forgiato, which is, uh, he loves cars and it's like a specialty car rim. And Blow is an acronym for been living off wealth. (laughs) And I asked him if a lot of people think it's about cocaine. And he says, no, but people sometimes think it's about the movie Blow. And I was like, well, that's about cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) So there we go. And that sort of gets into, I think, the artifices that are going on in the Forgiato Blow empire. I mean, the idea that, oh, you thought it was cocaine? How ridiculous. I'm a South Florida rapper. It obviously means been living off wealth. <laughs> and in fact, he sort of has been, right? So you travel down to Florida, hang out with Forgiato. What was that experience like? It kind of seems like you entered another dimension, the MAGA rapiverse. I did. And I just did not know what to expect whatsoever. Really just had no idea. Before I headed down there, he had said that I could visit his home. I was saying I wanted to do like MAGA cribs because he shoots music videos in front of properties that I don't know are his or if they're his or not. But I was very intrigued to see where he lived. But he got a little cagey about where we were meeting once we arrived. He wanted to meet at the studio. So I went to the studio with my colleague Maggie. And outside the studio, this is in Clearwater, Florida, which by the way, Clearwater, if you haven't been there, it was my first time there, has like beautiful beaches. It's also the birthplace of Scientology. So it turns out Scientologists own like everything there. Get to the studio, his Rolls Royce. Yes, all laid out in going clear. <laughs> yes. Were you tagged by any like squirrel hunters or anything? No, I actually like did not know about the Scientology aspect of things. This seemed like kind of too much to really process <laughs> in addition to everything else. So I was like, I'll deal with that sort of psychologically later on. Yeah, one cult at a time. Yeah, exactly. Got to the studio. His Rolls Royce is parked outside. He's got famous, he's got two Rolls Royces, but this is his most famous Rolls Royce is parked outside. The Rolls Royce appears in many of his music videos. It is like neon pink and blue and adorned with like sort of cartoon renderings of bitcoins and dollar signs and piggy banks. And then a sort of richy rich type character on the hood of the car and the words Trump's nephew. So I'm like, okay, we're in the right place. See, I see his car. Great. And then we go into the studio and he was in the middle of recording a track, which I don't know what the name of it, but the refrain was, we got to pray. So I saw how he works. He's freestyles. This particular song was, I thought, really representative of a lot of just MAGA rap songs in general, which is that it's sort of like a grievance word soup. You know, he talked about like abortion, Antifa, Portland. It was just like everything, you know, whatever he could find to like squeeze into sort of a tenuous one. I think there's a part where he like rhymes abortion with Portland. Yeah, exactly. And it was just amazing seeing him sort of trying on different rhymes. And it's just like any kind of buzzword that you associate with culture wars or MAGA verse that goes in there. So yeah, got to see him how he worked. 
and did the interview there at the studio. And afterwards, towards the end of the interview, he asked if we were hungry because he wanted to go to Hooters, which he goes to Hooters every day, he says, most days. (laughs) (laughs) We can talk about that. Real gout hours. (laughs) Yeah. And he was like, we can go in the Rolls Royce if you want. And I was like, honestly, I've never been in a Rolls Royce before. I'll happily go in the Rolls Royce to Hooters. So we get into the Rolls Royce. Very nice. Smells like fresh leather. And he's playing me his music kind of showing me his range, I guess, sort of different songs that he's done. And we go and have dinner at Hooters with another rapper called Stony Dude Bro and his producer. So this Rolls Royce you take, you might have said, oh, great, riding a Rolls Royce, I'm riding in style. Little did you know, this is the most hideously painted Rolls Royce in history. I'm looking at a picture here of the Blowmobile. Now, you've got like a Uncle Moneybag from Monopoly on it. You got a couple Richie Riches. You got like a Bitcoin sign. You got the yen sign <laughs> symbol. And this is a very like colorfully painted car. It looks like a Hot Wheels. <laughs> That's a great comparison. And you get to the Hooters, and then some guy goes, what is this, Captain Crunch's car? And Forgiato's face falls. Yeah, well, he was parking the car. He actually very generously, because it started raining, so he'd, he'd let me and Maggie out outside the front of Hooters, and he was parking. And some guy was like, who the hell drives that, Captain Crunch? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was so funny, and I repeated it over dinner. I was like... When we were there with Stony Dude Burner's producer, I was saying, oh, some guy outside said that he thought Captain Crunch drive the car. And Stony Dude Burner, the producer, thought it was hilarious. But um, Forgiato looked not so amused. So what's so funny to me is he's got these two Rolls Royces, right? His name stands for Ben Living Off Wealth. He has all the studio time, which costs a lot of money. Did you ever get a sense of how exactly he was getting this cash? Is like being a MAGA rapper really lucrative? That is the million dollar question. So he also has, I mean, the references to wealth like continue. Like he's got a Bitcoin on his face. He's got a lot of face tattoos. He's got a lot of tattoos, just full stop. But he's got Richie Rich tattooed on his cheek and a Bitcoin. And his first kind of pro-Trump album was called Silver Spoon. And so there's all these references to wealth that are embedded in his brand, but he's very he's a little evasive when it comes to talking about wealth. So I think, so one of the things that's important to know about Forgetta Blow, whose real name is Kurt Jantz, is that he is the grandson of Stuart Arnold, who founded the Auto Trader magazine, which has classified cars for ads. And his granddad was a millionaire and lived in the same area, Clearwater, Florida. And the assumption is that he has inherited money when he's been living off wealth, that he's inherited a chunk of money from his now late grandfather. Yeah, that's kind of the tell there, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It is a tell, but he was very much like, no, I've never seen a cent of my grandfather's money. I am completely self-made. It's definitely a very sore spot for him. He talked about how his mom was a dog groomer and his sister worked for Walgreens. And I did manage to verify the Walgreens part. But again, it's like his two Rolls Royces. He has also another car in addition to that. And he was saying, oh, you know, it doesn't cost much to have a Rolls Royce, just like a few thousand dollars a month, which is a lot of money. And as you're saying, all the studio time that also kind of piles up. There were definitely some sort of question marks I had about how exactly he makes his living. He said that he rents out his cars on Turo, kind of a car Airbnb for cars. But again, I can't see you making that much money that you'd be able to afford the lifestyle. He brags about taking private jets places, despite the fact that he says he hates private jets. He loves to jet ski. I did enjoy this. He takes a private jet to January 6th. And then you're like, well, it seems like you have some amount of money because you took a private jet. And he says, actually, I hate private jets. They're so small. Wait, I want to back up to the fact that you can rent the Captain Crunch Rolls Royce on Turo. Is that something I can do? 
I look, I spent a long time on the Turo app trying to find any of his cars and I didn't find them. So I don't know whether that, oh. they're just, they're, they're just like booked out. I think Forgiato <laughs> might be, might not be telling the truth here. <laughs> right. So there was like, I had to sort of do a bit of hedging. I also like wanted to see where he lived and he wouldn't let me go there. I was like, maybe he lives with his mother, but he complained about his mom a lot. Just definitely some sort of, some gaps. Uh, you know, he's wearing Louis Vuitton sneakers it's definitely some things that don't quite add up so there are so many just banger quotes in this story and one that i want to read is he says my fans aren't teenage boys my fans are 50 to 60 year old people that probably never listened to rap music in their life but i make them love rap music now they love rap music and this is what's so striking to me about this weird ascendant maga rap genre and i'm trying to figure out its appeal and I was wondering, do you think MAGA fans have like previously wanted to listen to rap music, but maybe didn't, uh, let's say, like some of the artists? Do they just want to be pandered to? Like, what is the actual draw for a hardcore Forgiato fan? That's, I was really interested in that question as well. I was like, who's listening to the music and who's its intended audience? Like, is he trying to make MAGA cool to the kids by rapping about it? Or is he trying to make rap cool to like the older boomer maga set it seemed like he kept trying to sort of make these big claims about how he's getting boomers into rap but then he'd say oh the kids love my music but i think it's also when you see those maps or those kind of graphics of your brain lighting up with that confirmation bias when you hear something that you believe in i feel like that's just sort of what his songs do they just he just hits all these sort of different controversial or like kind of i don't know divisive divisive ideas that have become so core to the MAGA movement. It's just people's like brains light up when they hear it. It's my psychological analysis. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Facebook post, but it vaguely rhymes, you know, it's just got all the buzzwords. Exactly. And I mean, he was claiming that people at Mar-a-Lago play his music. And I mean, it was clear. So the day after we our Hooters dinner, he was filming his music video for a new song called Hey Disney. And the music video is going to be shot outside Disney World Resort. And he said that there's going to be a big MAGA crowd outside the Disney World. I was a little skeptical, but there was a few hundred people there. And yes, the majority of them were older and they were, you know, excited to be in his music video. They all knew him. It was really interesting. So you really get into the details on this guy. And when you do, it's a little harrowing to me. You write that he doesn't care for movies or TV. He doesn't play video games. He says he's never read a book, not a single one, not even in school. He doesn't have much of a dating life and he has a few friends, but they tend to, quote, change every two years. I feel like a lot of these MAGA celebrity types, there's like some emptiness there. Like they didn't have a lot going on. And suddenly when they hit upon this fan base or this community, they were really able to have some purpose or identity for the first time. I mean, what was he doing before MAGA rap? And how much has this made him who he is. Yeah, I mean, like, I think I, I say in the story that I was expecting when I went there, I was expecting to see, I'd seen his music videos and I thought I was going to get this like bombastic South Florida boy who had this sort of like money, fast lifestyle and that his personality and lifestyle sort of matched the way that he presented himself. And I found a very sad, lonely man, essentially, who seemed to have basically 
like Kurt Jantz. I don't even know if I met Kurt Jantz. It seemed like his entire life is dedicated to just cultivating the Forgiato Blow character. Like Kurt Jantz gets no time to exist. It's just about Forgiato Blow. He says he wakes up, he just checks his social media to see how his likes are doing, how his followers are doing. He deals with his Forgiato Blow merch, goes to Hooters. He just like records music at a breakneck pace, like multiple songs in a day. And he says that he probably makes too much music given the size of his bass. He just churns them out sort of obsessively. And the evenings, I mean, unless he was sort of withholding some information, sound like they're pretty empty. Like he doesn't even sleep that well. Yes, he talks about chugging soda constantly and I can't sleep. Yeah, he drinks a lot of soda. He goes to Hooters every day. I was just not expecting to get there and just feel really sad for him. When you say he goes to Hooters every day, I mean, is that a figure of speech or do you mean he goes to Hooters every day? I think he goes to Hooters like almost every day. Wow. He said that several times. The Hooters that we went to, interestingly, was not the Hooters that he goes to every day. The Hooters that he goes to every day is on the beach. He can't take you to his main Hooters. I got too many stories to tell. Yeah, that was a bit odd to me, but he just loves chicken wings. He just gets chicken wings just every day. And I guess he's just a creature of habit. He really doesn't like to sort of diverge from his safety, things that could sort of give him a sense of safety. But I mean, before he was, 2016 was his first pro-Trump song. Before that, he was just, he was like rapping about guns and drugs and women and cars and didn't really have, much success. And also voting records show that he previously voted Democrat, which again, that's also a very touchy subject for him. He said that he just didn't really know anything about politics. And so then 2016 comes around, he sees Trump, he loves Trump. I did believe that his love for Trump seems genuine. He feels like he identifies with Trump. And so then he just kind of switches up his image and becomes a MAGA rapper and tries to make a name for himself in this very niche kind of I mean, he was at the forefront, really, of this subculture, and he's sort of be able to sort of build up some kind of quasi-celebrity in this world. He seems like very networked within MAGA types. He wrote that he's buddies with some Proud Boy leaders. Fan of the show, Laura Loomer, came out to the Disney event that he was filming at. So, like, what's the scene down there? Are these people all hanging out together? Yeah, so that's why we called it MAGAville, because it really did feel like, I kept asking him, what's MAGAville? Because he's saying, I'm the mayor of MAGAville. And MAGAville, at least from what I understood, is like, out of like a traveling circus in this part of Florida where there's all of these sort of slightly kind of, it's like a bit, yeah, these very outward obsessive Trump fans. They go there, they hawk their Trump merch, they sell their Trump related products. Um, They're all just diehard Trump devotees. And then in the mix, you've got these aspiring political candidates who are trying to sort of get their arms around this movement. People, yeah, trying to sell themselves to this movement. It's really interesting to see all these sort of like very colorful characters. There was a Mickey Mouse wearing a MAGA hat at the rally the next day. So it just seems to be the same kind of group of people who just show up places. Like he kept bragging, Forgiato Bloke kept bragging that he can put out a message and have 100 people down the end of the road in no time, which I don't know if that's true, but it does seem like people are just ex- like ready to just mobilize. And as for him, I mean, he's got, like he did a song called Matt Gates, just Matt Gates. And Matt Gates appeared in his music video and then promoted the song on his social media, which is obviously a big win for him. But he claims to be very politically connected. And I guess there is some truth to that. And he was buddies with Enrique Tario, the allegedly former Proud Boy leader. He is well connected in this world. He does also be claiming to be working on some political campaigns, though he wouldn't say whose. I believe it 
is maybe Christine Quinn, who was at the rally at Outside Disney World. So yeah, he's met Trump a couple of times, which he was very excited to regale me with those stories. He's certainly an interesting figure. Forgiato seems very committed to sort of having a sort of shifting connections. I'm thinking, for example, about how he has a big Bitcoin tattoo on his face and says, oh, Bitcoin? No, no, it stands for blow. And he has P-O-Y-B, which is typically taken as an acronym for proud of your boy, a proud boys thing. But he says, no, it's proud of your blow. So (laughs) what is it about Forgiato that he's claiming the blow is not about cocaine? It's I've been living off wealth. What is it about Forgiato? He seems very unwilling to quite commit to these things. That's totally right. But I think like, I mean, as you guys know and have reported on, a lot of these people in the far right or like the far right relies on this like double entendre with a lot of the things that they are like a lot of the symbols that they sort of surround themselves with, where it could have one meaning to one group, but a completely different meaning, or there's a sort of plausible deniability there. He's like, oh no, I don't have Bitcoin. It's about blow. Or like, I'm not a proud boy. It's proud of your blow. But at the same time, he's like winking at those groups or those communities. And so I think that's kind of where he's a bit clever with things. But you're also right that he's kind of, they're not quite committing to things. He, somebody, he, he claims that he's authentically himself, but he also just seems to constantly contradict himself. And he doesn't really like being fitted sort of into any of those boxes. Like he kept insisting to me, oh, no, I also do other music. I do country music. I do rock music. He wants something for everyone, really. It's fascinating to imagine what a glimpse into the story of America that a man could found Auto Trader magazine and help so many people sell and buy cars. (laughs) And then a few generations later, presumably living off the Auto Trader fortune, you can have a failed grandson who buys Bitcoin tattoos and a very ugly paint job on a Rolls Royce and eats at Hooters every day off of your wealth and lives in a sort of unclear situation that he has to hide a mansion or whatever from a reporter visiting town. Very interesting. Very interesting. And I think one of the other interesting things about the MAGA rap world, which I wanted to mention, is that they're not dealing with universal subjects. Like they're dealing with a very, very narrow set of subject matter. And so you get like, there must have been, I think, about five, six MAGA rappers who all recorded songs called Let's Go Brandon. I found four different mm. songs just called Kyle Rittenhouse. And so they just like latch onto the same issue and they all make a song about it. And there's a sort of this sort of like quite competitive, it's very narrow set of subject matter. That's a great point. I mean, I saw he has a Disney song where it's like, stop it, groomers. Oh, yeah. The Disney song samples Pink Floyd, like uh, another brick in the wall where it goes, hey, leave those kids alone. And it's that bit that he's used in the song. It's like, hey, Disney, leave those kids alone, because it's about this whole conspiracy theory that Disney is somehow grooming children. (laughs) But as far as whether he actually believes a lot of the things that he raps about, or even it just seems like they're just empty words. A lot of them seem to be empty words that he doesn't really think about, or he doesn't really think that he has like a responsibility for. He doesn't really stop and think about how they could be dangerous or how he could be propping up sort of harmful narratives. Yeah, because you have this really telling quote in him from here where he's saying, we're ready to go to war. And you press him on it. He says, war. It's like, it's just a word. It's just like, we're ready for whatever. You can take a word and make it into something it's not. It's not like a real war. It's just like, how many of these guys are actually willing to stick to what they're saying. Because when you start invoking Kyle Rittenhouse, that's like a fantasy about murder, right? How many of these guys are like actually willing to throw down and how many of them are just 
making 10 tracks a day and saying whatever might appeal to their base. Well, again, it's kind of like that winking at one meaning whilst giving himself a sense of plausible deniability where he's like, oh, war is just a word or like Carl Rittenhouse. He's just like, a, people could listen to that, that song about going to war and people could be like really amped up and feel some sort of way. But he says it's just, he's like, it's just art essentially. But I mean, even with the Hey Disney song, that was one that was, I mean, it was homophobic and transphobic. Like the lyrics were homophobic and transphobic. And it felt like even he was a little bit like, this might be a bit of an escalation for me. And he was obviously thinking about it. Kind of, it was like obviously on his mind. And he'd mentioned that he thought his mum would, wouldn't like it, which I thought was interesting because <laughs> she's kind of very hard on him and also worried about him getting cancelled. I don't know. Yeah, I think we're beyond that for Giotto. I think you're pretty cancelled there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Are they not going to give Forgiato a Grammy? <laughs> also, this man is, I believe, 38 years old. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Wait, Forgiato's 38? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no. Right. Forgiato, we got to get it together, man. You're headed straight towards middle age. He really recognizes. He's like, you know, I've given up everything for this. I don't have kids. I don't have a family. Like, this is my life. Like, I'm dedicated 100%. I mean, he's dedicated to Forgiato Blow. The one thing I didn't put in the story is that his background on his phone is just a picture of himself. <laughs> Forgiato. <laughs> And he showed me and he said, he told me that girlfriends or like past girlfriends had said that he was a narcissist because he had a picture of himself on his phone. And he was kind of like asking my opinion, kind of what I thought about that. I just, just thought it was but, very oh, interesting. Stand up for yourself, man. <laughs> this is grim material. You went to Florida looking for, oh, let's check out the MAGA rappers. And then you just like were plunged deep into this man's psyche. Yeah, he just has a really empty life. And it was like, I think it was also pretty telling. I think it's in a way he's like sort of symbolic for the MAGA movement overall that there's this like this like core of emptiness. They're rallying around this like Trump who they're like worshiping as a Christ-like figure and he doesn't really care about them. There's just something that's like really hollow and empty about it. And that I think that his sort of life and personality really sort of reflected that in a way. I mean, he did say, I tried to sort of get him to talk about his demons a little bit or like, what are his demons? What keeps him up at night? And he seems to have had a complicated relationship with his parents. They sent him to boarding school, a very fancy boarding school in the area. That seems to be like a very sore sort of military boarding school. That seems to be like a sore point for him. I don't know. It's just something, just, he wasn't snarky or rude necessarily. He just seems like sort of very insecure and obsessive. So obviously a lot of leading rappers have been arrested on Rico charges lately. So folks might be looking for a new favorite rapper. Thank you, Tess Owens, so much for introducing us to poor Giano Blow, a potential <laughs> new favorite rapper for everyone. <laughs> Tess, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Great to talk to you. Welcome to Fresh Hell, where we unpack the weird new stuff going on in the right-wing ecosphere. You've heard of Ripley's Believe It or Not. This is Willie's Believe It or Not. Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you talking about, Will? So this week we got stuff in Fresh Hell about Jack Berkman and Jacob Wool, these two kind of iconic grifter, fraudster guys that hang out in the Roslyn, Virginia area. Will, what's going on with these two? Sure. So Jacob Bull and Jack Berkman, obviously once a very meat and potatoes part of any right-wing reporter's reporting. 
<laughs> but now they've sort of faded. I mean, the, the backstory here for folks is these were the guys who would come up with fake sexual assault smears against Robert Mueller and Pete Buttigieg. And then they would always just fall apart. I mean, what was fascinating to me about them was that like, there's a lot of people in our industry or that we deal with who lie all the time and very obviously, but it was like the Riddler. They always hid like a little clue for you that would help you unravel it all. And so like, it might be a recording of them inducing someone to make a false allegation, stuff like that. So there were some interesting characters for a while. And then somewhat inexplicably, they started doing their shtick like constantly. And to me, I think it's never been quite explained. I think there's another shoe to drop in terms of their behavior. But obviously, you've been covering them as well. So they're now in their sort of hottest legal jeopardy ever because they did these illegal robocalls in battleground states back in 2020, aimed in a pretty gross way at depressing the black vote, saying that if you early voted, you would receive like debt collectors would come after you and what have you. So they're now facing criminal charges in multiple states. They're being sued in New York by the attorney general there. And so they've had one of their kind of iconic press conferences. Zach, I know you've attended plenty of these. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember from the old days, I uh, used to see you there. I would say they also like, didn't they at one point, Will, like cheer this? Like emails came out and it was like, good job, JW type of thing. Like they were like cheering the whole thing afterwards too. And emails were pretty specific too. They were like target black and minority neighborhoods. Yes, they said, oh, a lot of black people have called me angry. So to set this up, I mean, Berkman used his own phone number to do this illegal robocall. And when I asked him about it, he said, someone's framing me. What kind of idiot would use their own phone number for an illegal robocall, right? But so since then, all these emails have come out where they're saying the OPSEC on this operation was not high. I mean, there's a lot of emails saying like, time to do the robocall, <laughs> like a fantastic Jack Berkman, Jacob Wool crime. They didn't say crime, but they might as well have. And so anyways, Jack Berkman now has been on a hunger strike, he claims, right? And so he says, I'm restricting myself to my usual Perrier and lemon. I mean, they do have a showman's <laughs> instinct, if nothing else. And so they were doing another press conference. I felt that this was kind of shaking up. The novelty of it was back. And so I paid more attention to this one than I have in the past. Yeah, I couldn't make it. Unfortunately, I was maybe thinking about heading out to their uh, kind of notable what is it called? Their house. 1529. Yes. Yeah, and they call it like a whole project thing. I was thinking about heading out there and looking up at the balcony, kind of iconic now. Didn't make it, but I did see that Jacob Wool is claiming that I personally, a Daily Beast reporter, tried to quote unquote, forment the neighbors into some sort of riot. What do you make of this, Will? There's a lot of backstory here. I mean, what happened, of course, was that they had set up an antenna in their yard and you received an email from someone posing as a neighbor who is, in fact, Jacob Wool himself claiming, oh, the neighbors really upset and the reality is they are upset because they are doing a lot of weird stuff and these people did not sign up to pay for a northern virginia townhouse next to this sort of carnival ride and so there's this whole thing right as you said with the antenna i mean getting back to the press conference the promise of this press conference was zach jack berkman's hunger strike had caused him to lose 65 pounds and he was now bald and this was a lobbyist who previously had a what appeared to be a very well-loved head of hair and so for me this was pretty interesting now so prankster Chris James, who we've had on Fever Dreams before, he got the first look at Jack Berkman's outfit. He was wearing a bald cap. He looked like the Six Flags guy. And so that was interesting enough. And then, but it sort of seemed that they were losing the thread. I thought he might at least shave his head. Apparently it didn't even come to that. So 
on the actual day of the press conference, Jacob opens the door. Jack is in a wheelchair. Forge Fisher, or one reporter who was there, gets it. And it's like, he's in a wheelchair wearing a hoodie. So they don't even bother with the bald cap this time. He just covers up his hair with a hood. And then they say, no question. Why would you be here for this press conference we've called? And they close the door. Wow. It seems like even a lack of effort at this point, right? Because it used to be like, okay, let's try to claim that Antifa is going to show up to our press conference. And let's use our own email to claim that Antifa is going to show show up, right? Like, at least there was some level of effort, right? Like, we dimmed the photos to try to dupe reporters. It seems like now, Will, they've really kind of no effort at all, right? I mean, they don't even bother to shave his head. I think you and I are, among other things, sort of consumers of the Berkman Wool multiverse. (laughs) It's odd to me because they are facing, like, very serious legal jeopardy. (laughs) Like, these guys could go to prison for many years they could be on the hook for paying millions of dollars in fines and yet the carnival continues and they in a sort of very odd way and that kind of leads me to what i think the larger import of this is which is why do you think these guys do it Hmm. something else is going to drop at one point i think we both know this will there's more to the story we don't mean to be vague i don't know what that could be but it does just seem to me people say oh they love the attention but at some point when you're going to prison i think that's when you might pull back And even I think some of the zaniest people we saw with the various January 6th people, I mean, who I think did things that the vast majority of people would not do, if only for self-preservation, that when you're facing the federal prison time, you suddenly kind of straighten up and maybe start declining media requests, stop painting your face blue, wearing the horns, etc. Exactly. And it just seems like they're not stopping up at all, right? Because, of course, to some extent, they launched this TV show where they try to catch, like, sexual predators and and, and to catch a predator type situation right they try to do that which is like okay clearly that's like trying to potentially tell a judge oh we're some sort of model citizens catching predators roaming around dc so you would think they're perhaps trying to turn a new page but yet they're continuing with all these stunts so it's kind of like you're really not not doing that right Well, I do think this mystery continues. I think now maybe they need to hire a makeup person who can at least do the bald cap on a reliable basis. It might have been enough to show up in, I believe he did a courtroom Zoom with the bald cap on or looking especially frail. And you just have to imagine, what did the judges think of all this? On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some amazing guests at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics to popular culture. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcast app and share the show on social media and at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer, and Kelly is at Kelly Weil. That's W-E-I-L-L. Come say hi. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian DeMeglio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.